0: Because, you know, sometimes a good story is left to the imagination.
1: Episode 6, Al Capone and the Magical Mystery Tour.
2: Throughout the years, the Chicago-based Margie's Candy Store gained notoriety thanks to visitations from various pop culture icons. Al Capone would tame his sweet tooth sitting in their booth blocked by a cement wall. He signed a photo for the owners instructing them to watch the register. Forty years later, the Beatles would also indulge in sweets there after playing Comiskey Park. Margie's candy store owner, Margie, recalls a story with her son, George. She said, Hey, some English guys are here from Sox Park. George said, Ma, there's no English baseball team. She said, No, dummy, it's the Beatles. Although the pop culture icons never met, 20 years before the Beatles started their magical mystery tour, Al Capone died. Ironically, Capone created his own sort of magical mystery tour in his days. Traveling from Chicago to Miami along the Dixie Highway, at this point, you're probably asking, Bran, what does Al Capone, the Dixie Highway, and his personal magical mystery tour have to do with Slim? Well, let's get into it. In my research, I came across a Nashville Banner article dated April 22, 1931, titled Commission Rules on Bus Petitions. About midway through, the article states, Approval of lease contract between Red Star Bus Line Incorporated and Otis Merritt for operations between McMinnville and Mon Eagle. Actually, it was my wife who found this article and sent it to me. This was at the very beginning, when I was just getting started. The way that Gmail displays emails, I kept accidentally looking over it for almost a month. Then one day, I realized I had missed her email and the Nashville Banner article. And this was an important piece to the mystery. Slim was operating beyond McMinnville. But why Mon Eagle? There must be a reason why Slim wanted to run his taxi business from McMinnville to Mont Eagle, Tennessee. After this discovery, I started brainstorming connections. Why this town? What in Mont Eagle is so important? A memory of eating at a historic Mont Eagle restaurant popped in my head. High Point. High Point is an upscale, high-end restaurant on the National Register of Historic Places. The 1929 historic three-story home turned restaurant truly is a step back in time. The walls, the stairs, and the structure carry a legendary mystique still to this day. When I visited the restaurant, I was perusing the upstairs looking for the restroom, and I kept thinking that someone was watching me, or they were behind me. My family and I ate in the dining room that was equipped with a flickering fireplace, period light fixtures, and original hardwood floor that creaked as you walked. During dinner, my dad referenced the local lore that Al Capone had financed this place and had frequented it on his way to Miami from Chicago along the Dixie Highway. This memory rushed back to me. The article references Slim obtaining a petition to run his taxi service from McMinnville to Mount Eagle. To quote Mel Gibson's character in the sci-fi thriller Signs, See, what you have to ask yourself is what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs? That sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at the question this way. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? It is possible, as we've already experienced throughout this investigation. In this episode, we will hear from some experts. New York Times bestselling author and popular journalist, Jonathan Eig, author of It's a Southern Thing and writer for Alabama.com, Kelly Kazik, along with her husband, William Elric they are all going to help us unravel a bit of this folklore about Capone and his magical mystery tour of the Dixie Highway. Let's start with Jonathan. Here he is talking about his book, Get Capone.
3: My name is Jonathan Eig. I am a journalist and author of five books. Um, My most recent book is a biography of Muhammad Ali, but a little bit before that I wrote a book called Get Capone that describes uh, the career and the takedown of America's most notorious gangster, Al
2: Capone. During the 20s and 30s, Scarface, as he was also known, built a multi-million dollar operation in Chicago dealing with bootlegging, prostitution, and gambling. It was the epitome of the organized crime scene. Just from illegal liquor alone, he amassed $60 million a year to bring that into today's terms, that would be the equivalent to $775 million. Capone is the most infamous gangster of all time and still a hot topic. Tom Hardy is starring in a biopic later this year. Capone's name has been immortalized in pop culture, movies, and books. This might explain why he loved the spotlight, even though his mentor, Johnny Torrio, Told him that running illegal institutions meant keeping a low profile.
3: Oh, a lot of things. Um, you know, first of all, Capone lived very publicly. You know, he was um, kind of a celebrity criminal, which um, seems like a, a really bad idea, right? If you're trying to, uh, if you're breaking the law all the time. You probably should just keep a low profile. But he, he was the opposite. He he loved the attention. So um, he would give interviews to reporters. He would pose for pictures. He wasn't in hiding most of the time, um, which also means that, you know, if you're trying to find him and you're trying to uh, track him, his trail and see if he uh, came around your neck of the woods, um, there's a pretty good chance that that he would have left a record of it. So
2: this means that there should be some type of paper trail up and down the Dixie Highway.
3: Yes, he's only owned, he on owned property in Miami, and we do know that he drove at least a couple of times from Chicago to Miami and back. Um you know, back then people didn't fly very much. Um, so he was definitely driving and, uh, and he made that trip a couple of times. So he, he we don't know exactly where he stopped. We don't have records of, uh, of, um, you know, where he stayed the, on, on those trips. And, and we definitely don't have any record of him, you know, putting down roots anywhere and, and staying someplace, you know, for, um, you know, weeks or months or vacationing. Um, there's a lot of talk that he spent times in Spent time in Hot Springs, Arkansas, but I've never seen any proof of that, even. Um, so I always uh, tell people it's possible. You know, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but um, it's hard to prove. It may
2: be hard to prove, but it can't be impossible.
3: Uh, um, these gangsters, and not just uh, Capone, but in every city there was a bootlegger, and in every city they were they were famous, and the newspapers loved this stuff. It was it was great copy, and especially in Chicago where you had know five or six terrific newspapers and they were competing for stories um the the bootlegging world made for great copy so reporters were were killing themselves for these stories and um you know if they had a chance to interview al capone they certainly did and when he traveled we know that when he was in miami reporters were approaching him all the time when he was in los angeles same thing so if he came to um you know any kind of town that had a newspaper um word sort of word might have gotten around and those reporters would have sought him out. So I think we've learned that apparently
2: there are plenty of stories and most of them are just tall tales. Now what we've got to do is put these stories to the test. Mont Eagle has plenty of those stories. But let's turn to our next experts. Listen as Kelly and Will tell us their experiences and some of the history focusing on Al Capone and Mont Oh, well,
4: that's great. And well, what's fun to me is... Well, it's really fun. We'll ride around and we'll come across a place. And a lot of times we don't know about it until we get home. And then I go in and start doing research. And this is one of those cases where we saw the place and it looked really neat, but we didn't know about it until after the fact. We didn't know its significance. Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) We didn't really know. We just thought it was, hey, that's a really cool place and took pictures and that kind of thing. But then um, I came home and started doing some research and came across the Al Capone connection. Several different places, Um, there's some information on the restaurant website. The restaurant that's now in the house has some history on it. And um, most of what I found is not, um, can't really be backed up with documentation, the part about Al Capone. Most of it I think is legend or lore, but it's just interesting that, that that history's there. One historian uh, from a local historical society wrote that um, none of Capone's biographers mentioned Monteagle except one in passing.
0: And this is Will speaking. So I found one that wasn't a, a biography of Capone, of Capone at all. He was just mentioned in a book called Mountain Voices, right, right, which that's talks it. about the history of that area. But none
4: of his biographies mentioned the connections.
2: Just to keep everyone updated— here is an article to clarify some of the
1: persons and places we reference. Rumor has it that the big man from Chicago built a house for Irene. Big Al Capone, that's the man who made his journeys from Chicago across this mountain through our little town of Monteagle on his way to Florida where he had another home. Some whispered that he was Irene's lover. He was nearly 15 years younger than she But would that have made a difference to the big man or to Irene? At some point in time, Irene had married William Dixon. But I can find no one who remembers him. One source told me that Irene had married three times. We are talking about the period of prohibition when alcohol was at its greatest demand and Capone was infamous for his gambling, prostitution, and whiskey businesses. Was Irene's house his choice of lodging when he came to the mountain? Or was this just talk? Was there something sinister about the goings-on in the big house? Somehow all the Capone writers thankfully missed our little town in the pages of history.
2: I had the pleasure of having a conversation with local journalist Jackie Lane Parton. Her article about Mont Eagle, the Maybes, Capone, it struck me, so I tried to get an interview with her. While she didn't want to be involved in an interview, she was still willing to talk off the record. Most importantly, she still stands by her work. Now back to the conversation with Kelly and Will. I explained to them my grandiose theory about how I thought Slim was potentially running Moonshine for Capone, either directly or indirectly. This is what they had to say.
4: That's inter- well. It's interesting enough just that he was running Minchon, but it's it's really fascinating to think he was connected on that level.
0: It's a it's a quite plausible theory, also. Though. Right.
4: Well, and the thing with what you're dealing with is, you know, finding records of illegal activity, and that's not easy to do. So, um, you, I can see you have quite the project on your hands.
2: Before we discuss what exactly occurred at High Point in Montego. There are other stories of Big Al in and around Monteagle.
0: And, and it's funny, the uh, the known documentation about Al Capone being in Monteagle didn't come from maybe at all. It came from a man named Peter Garner, hmm. who uh, was working in a field with his team of oxen and saw this car run off in a ditch. So he goes down to uh, pull the car out and the stranger offers him money and said, so we don't take money for helping people in trouble so the stranger in the black cadillac gave him a pewter cigar and said my name's al capone call me anytime oh, wow. and uh, it supposedly really was al capone from <laughs> the called mountain voices and supposedly it was a big thing in in the town that the local barber Claren- clarence clarence her uh cut big al's hair when he was in town
2: Yes, there are other stories about Capone being in Mont Eagle, but the restaurant High Point that I ate at was the epicenter of Capone-centered folklore. Because before it was a restaurant, it was Irene Maybe's house that Al Capone supposedly financed.
0: But, you know, when you go to the—talk about Irene Maybe, you know, uh, several places say that she and Al Capone were having a relationship— that she was his mistress. He actually built the house for himself, uh, but gave it to her because she was there. But she was 15 years older than he, than he was. And uh, even before, when they first built the, the residence, people in town thought this is not a place for local, this is a place for out of towners. And she supposedly drove a black Cadillac, which for small town Mountain, Appalachia, Tennessee in the 1920s is very questionable. And it was always said that big groups of Cadill- black Cadillacs would show up and the people would go inside and go about their business from there.
4: It's interesting, too, that the, the <clears throat> Mavie family, were they were supporters of temper, the temperance movement. So that makes the whole thing even more interesting.
0: And I'm I'm sure you've known from looking at the restaurant's website that they supposedly have a trap door that goes out on an escape hatch that goes out onto the roof and they have sliding walls to go down into the cellar.
2: I didn't see any trap doors at Irene's house turned restaurant, but maybe, just maybe, the Capone historians missed some of his stops along the Dixie Highway.
0: Yeah, you know, the only thing I have to really say about the house up there and Irene, and granted her family were some of the founders of the town, Uh, and matter of fact, her father was the first postman, postmaster, but uh, if you don't have someone on the outside funding this massive house being built, how do you do it in rural Appalachia, Tennessee? And then, you know, even, After the 20s and after Al Capone's time, uh, she was still very secretive and no one knew anything about the house until after her death.
2: Will lived in Chicago and was a forebear of those lawmen who rivaled against Scarface. He shares some of those stories he has gathered over the years with us.
0: Well, you know, Moonshine is real big in in Appalachia. I mean, you live in McMinnville, so you know that. You know how small towns are. Uh, But, you know, initially when he started, when he tried to get all of his uh, whiskey brought down from Canada, he runs into all kind of different jurisdictions and stuff that would cross the federal government more so than he ran running from state to state. So it makes sense being a large businessman that you would have all these small suppliers that could supply the rest of the country from an area that gives good logistic transportation between – uh, the Southeast, and Chicago.
4: And, you know, a lot of the lawmen left Moon trainers alone back then because uh, they were so far in the hills, and, you know, they were isolated, and they just, let, you know, let them do their thing. So Will used to work in Chicago, oh, really? so he knows Mr. lore from there, too.
0: Yeah, I've, I've got actually quite the different little things of Al Capone throughout different parts of the country. But I used I used to live near Michigan City, Indiana, which Al Capone also had a house there. And supposedly, if you looked at his house from the aerial view, it was shaped like a forty-five pistol. And there was also a very neat Al Capone Urban Legend, is that he had brought down a bunch of Canadian whiskey and he hid it in a cave on Lake Michigan, because Michigan City's on the lake. Uh and the cave Three months of the summer you can access it by land and the rest of the time it's flooded with water and it's whiskey is supposedly still buried in that cave. It's somewhere supposedly somewhere around where Indiana Dunes National Park is now. I lived I lived in, I, lived in I, I worked in Chicago, but I lived in on the Indiana side.
4: Oh, okay. But he was he, a police officer. He had yeah. a
0: he had a vacation home in uh Michigan City or I don't know if it's a vacation home, but it was outside the city home. So I was pulling up a picture of his house in Michigan City on the Northmore Trail. Okay. And it's a revolver-shaped house.
2: I was excited to learn that there are plenty of stories about Capone in Tennessee. But as you just heard, there's stories all over.
0: Right. And, you know, there are at least several different instances that Al Capone was mostly known to be in Tennessee in the town of Franklin and, uh, Montagle, and also in Johnson city, Tennessee, all claimed fame that Al Capone was there. Uh, Johnson city being because they were the big rail line that would connect Chicago and Florida Franklin, because it would be on the way from Chicago to his home in New Orleans. And then Monty for the same reason that it would be en route to, uh, Florida. From Chicago. From Chicago. And also, even here in Alabama, we have history of Al Capone. We actually had a Madison County Sheriff's deputy who was killed intercepting a moonshine delivery one night coming in from Tennessee that was rumored to be from Al Capone's organization. Oh, wow.
4: Because we're located right near the Tennessee line in North Alabama. so
0: Who knew there was moonshine coming in and went out to intercept it and was killed.
2: You know... Come to think of it, I do remember my granny telling a story about Capone being in McMinnville.
4: Yeah, I remember. I I, I always heard he stayed at the Sidbury Hotel. I just heard that. Of course, it was just um, on Main Street. It was it was beautiful to walk inside. I just walked in at one time. But it was absolutely gorgeous. But it was up from the Park Theater on the corner there. But I just—that's just something I—I heard, you know, that that's where Al Capone stayed.
2: The Tennessean even mentioned the occurrence with Big Al in the little
1: town of McMinnville, constructed 113 years ago as a shelter for refugees from the fevers plaguing the lowland South. The Sedbury Hotel at McMinnville attained national fame largely on the strength of Southern cuisine, which has never skimmed a bit. The Sedbury Hotel in McMinnville, renowned far and wide for the excellence of its table d'hote, is just about the last commercial stronghold of old Southern charm and cuisine in this part of the country. Its fried chicken, country ham, and pecan pie have brought peregrinating celebrities miles out of their way, and has received an immoderate amount of publicity for an establishment of its size and location. One Sunday before Thanksgiving, Al Capone and two bodyguards, traveling in three identical gray Packard coops, stopped in for dinner and went unrecognized until Capone chose to identify himself to Mrs. Sedbury when paying his bill. Still
2: a Stronghold,
1: written by Bill Holder in
2: 1948. See, I just want to make sure everyone is on the same page. We have confirmed stories of Capone around Mont Eagle and even McMinnville. Slim's taxi ran to and from the two cities. No coincidences, remember? All the stories of Capone's magical mystery tour along the Dixie Highway are captivating. They're very captivating. But... Can we trust these stories? I mean, can we really trust them? Did Capone really have connections in Mont Eagle? And did Slim take moonshine from McMinnville to Mont Eagle for Capone and his men to pick up?
3: these legends get started, and anybody who was involved in in bootlegging, anybody who's involved in moonshining, sometimes even anybody who just owned a piece of property um, in the 1920s comes up with a story um, about how Al Capone is connected to it, Um, and it's certainly especially true here in Chicago, and um, you know, the closer you are to Chicago, the more stories there are about Al Capone having, um, you know, love nests, having um, having bootleg uh, liquor operations, having distilleries, um, breweries, and most of the time they turn out to be false. And uh, I always tell people, unless you can come up with the, uh, with the with the deed to show that he bought the place or you can come up with a picture or a newspaper clipping, then I would proceed with a great deal of caution because, um, you know, people left – a trail if um if they if they really spent a significant amount of time someplace so if you can't find any trail then it uh, doesn't mean it didn't happen but it means you better be skeptical about it
0: take
4: a minute to listen to a word from our sponsors
0: Hello, fellow crime dogs. My name is Eric Phillips, and this is my co-host and hetero life mate, Robert Prestige. Hey, what's up, guys? We are here to tell you about our true crime podcast, Find Me in the Dark. Find Me in the Dark covers all things true crime.
2: Mass shooters, serial killers, spree killers, one-off murders, family annihilators, missing persons, kidnappings in cold cases, and many other insane stories. We do deep dives into history's most incredible mysteries and discuss
0: the darkest sides of humanity. Two best friends that are obsessed with true crime and
3: want to share these stories with the world. We release one episode every two weeks covering a brand new crime every episode. If you like crime and like hearing two best friends discuss the ins and outs of the world's most devious human beings, like and subscribe on Facebook, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. We look forward to talking crime with you. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.
4: Now back to Moonshine Murder and Mayhem Podcast.
2: Here's what's coming up next week. You know, there are many stories from this area that are very similar to yours. So people back then, they called it Shotgun County. You know, until recently, Cannon County. You know, this area, rural areas in Tennessee... We're, we're shotgun
4: counties. Thank you for listening to the Moonshine Murder and Mayhem podcast. If you have any information, please contact us at moonshinemurderandmayhem@gmail.com at or message us on the Facebook group.